Well, hello, friends. I'm back for another Perfect Peace Hour. We've been doing this for many years. Uh, we have many of our broadcasts archived uh, somewhere on our website. You can go through and find, you know, um, as of late, I've been mentioning prior uh, things or discussions, so to speak, and um, we are trying to get some type of glossary together where I can give a reference back where I don't have to explain something all over again. Tonight, we're going to have a wonderful show. We're going to seek to synchronize Israeli prophecy with church prophecy regarding this moment in time as we approach the rapture of the Christian church, which is the onset of the tribulation period. Don't forget, the tribulation period is a one-week period or seven years, okay? Seven-year period. The great tribulation is the last half of it, the three and a half years where the earth will go through a period of unparalleled inconvenience, okay, brought about by the hands of the living God. And it's going to be quite a time, and we don't want to be here for that. There will be a mark of the beast that will plague the culture. We'll discuss things of that nature. But for now, we're going to take a look from where we are as we approach the rapture of the Christian church. Uh, we have to look at and see uh, what he said to the nation of Israel about this same period and then what he said to the church about this same period. And when we synchronize them, I think we will see that they fit like a hand in glove. Let us pray. I want to thank so many of you for your support, your prayers. You've been so good to our ministry, and I just want to say thank you because it is fruit that will abound to your account. We are on the same battlefield, and we're waging the very same conflict. We're fighting for the souls of men. So I, I thank him for the privilege of having friends such as you. I heard from Jean this week. God bless you, and thank you. Okay, I, I, you know, so many of you just sacrificed to support our ministry. We need, we could use a little bit more support so that we can update a lot of our programs and, and get a lot more done. We can really capitalize in this social media age. And when I say capitalize, this is not about, not about dollars and cents. This is about reaching the lost, the dying, our children, if we're going to help America, if we're going to be social justice warriors guess what we have to do our part and as christians we understand that there'll be no racial harmony there'll be no real unity without jesus christ but look at what we are able to do we don't look at skin color when it comes to the blood of christ okay we we all were lost in our sin and and jesus came where we were and he met us at our point of need and and guess what there is no superiority complex with the gospel. Let me explain what I mean. If white person had written the Bible, okay, um, it would have said, you all have sinned <laughs> and come short of the glory of God. Let me explain what I mean. No man or race or group would condemn themselves with every other man. 
Okay, the Bible condemns all of us universally. All of us are like dead dogs in the presence of God, and we acknowledge that. And all of our souls have the same worth, the same value. So if you want to say black lives matter, and as Christians, all lives matter, okay? We can't be racist as Christians. We can't even be sexist as Christians. You know, we have a different code of ethics. Jesus is our Lord, amen? So we understand how things work. But let me get back to where we are. Now, I want to share a little bit with you about um, something that I see happening before we begin our lesson. But we're going to begin with prayer. And heaven knows we need a lot of prayer. It seems as though we are a very sick nation. Everyone is wearing a surgical mask. And some are even wearing surgical gloves. Let us pray. Gracious Lord our God, Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. Oh God, we know that we can actually make a difference. It's not that we can accomplish anything, but we realize that on bended knee, oh God, we can approach your throne and know that we have the petition that we desire of thee. So we come into your presence, Father, knowing that we have access and we can come boldly, but we never feel worthy enough to come boldly. So we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your patience with us. Because all we like sheep have gone astray, it seems like, whenever we take our eyes off of you, even as Peter did, Lord Jesus, as he began to sink instantaneously, that seems to be our plight all the time whenever we do not surrender and submit through your Spirit. So, O oh God, we pray that you would help us to mature. Help us to be older children in your kingdom, O oh God. We realize that we all are a piece of work, and we are a work in progress. So help us to be patient with one another. We pray, O oh Lord, for our president. We pray for his cabinet. We pray that they have a successful campaign for the remainder of his term, and let your will be done. We know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. And you said you'll set up over it even the basis of men. So we thank you for a president that honors your word. Oh God, we pray for your church. We see so many of our brothers and sisters that have been fooled into shutting down, trusting in, in, in others rather than trusting in thee. And we pray that you give them the courage to reemerge, oh God, and to, to stand back. And, and if they need to, to apologize to the saints and, and for our, our callous disregard of, of to retain our occupation, oh God, help us. We pray that this is not that great falling away that you told us would come in your word, oh God, but we cry out unto you for our brothers and sisters that, that feel that they have no recourse but to wait on whatever the, the ministry leaders have to say, oh God. We pray that, that even while we're in virtual reality, while we're in cyberspace, that you're able to make a difference through our preaching and our teaching, O oh God. We thank you for this privilege. We ask that your spirit will rest, rule, and abide over this hour, that we might grow from it, O oh God, that we might be more of what you want us to be. We realize that you are a holy God, and holiness without no man can see you. So we thank you that for your perfecting power. We thank you for all that you have done. We brought nothing to the table, and we thank you fulfilling our cup. In Jesus' name we come. And all of God's children said, Amen. 
There is a, an event that occurs in Scripture. When God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that he said, Know for surety that your seed will be led down into Egypt. And he said, They're going to afflict them there for 400 years, and then I'm going to bring them out with a mighty hand. And then God went about to make it happen. Okay, Abraham passed from the scene, he died. Isaac, he died. And then Isaac's son, Jacob, who had 12 sons that became the nation of Israel. They were the ones that were going to venture into Egypt. And God used Joseph, the dreamer of dreams, okay, that would go down into Egypt to precede his brethren and that will prepare a place for them so that when God brought them into Egypt, where they will remain for 400 years, it will be done seamlessly. And God chose a very interesting method of accomplishing it because Joseph ends up being, can we say, the typified Christ of all of the men of the scripture that were a type of Christ in some of the work that they have done. Joseph was just it. There were so many types, okay? I mean, he went into Egypt and he came out of Egypt as Jesus did. He was sold by his brethren for 30 pieces of silver as Jesus was. And we can go on and on and on with the types of Christ that Joseph actually occupies. He was hated by his brethren. You're familiar? So when we look at it, we say, okay, so this Joseph, God made him the leader of all of Egypt. Pharaoh said, he answers to me, and everyone else answers to him. Okay? Give him whatever he needs. He came from prison that very moment. They were cleaning him up as he was on his way to meet Pharaoh. And, and he got there, and then Pharaoh gives him the keys to the kingdom and tell him, you are solely in charge. Okay? You're just accountable to me. Okay? So you are the second fiddle in all of Egypt. Could you imagine that God was able to exalt that young man? But the way that he chose to do it, he had to go through the valley of heartache. I mean, the boy came out of jail. He'd been in and out of... I mean, daddy loved you and your brothers hated you as a result of it. It wasn't your fault. Okay, your brother saw you coming to check on them, and daddy put you in charge of all of us and gave you a coat of many colors. You were just a kid. We all grown men with families, you know, so uh, there had to be some animosity when you're daddy's favorite child. And, and you understand how things work through sibling rivalry, and these men were grown. So they said, here comes the dreamer of dreams. Let us kill him and see what becomes of his dreams. Okay, but the oldest brother had some sense. And he said, well, don't kill the boy. Let's just put him in a pit. Maybe we can get make some money off of him or whatever. And you're familiar with the story. And from there, he ended up, and in, 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 in Potiphar bought him, okay? He was already incarcerated. I mean, his brother sold him into captivity, and he goes down there, and he's in captivity. A man buys him. He sees the wisdom of this young man and, and that God was with him, and he put him in charge of his house until his wife wanted to sleep with Joseph, and Joseph spun out of his clothes and left. 
and she used that against him. Here he left his garment. So now he goes back, he goes into prison, okay? And he is there, and a butler and a baker of the king's two right-hand men get sent to prison, okay? And, and, and in the course of time, both of them had a dream, okay? And guess who was there? Joseph was there to interpret the dream. And he told the, 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 the butler, you're going to be restored to your position. That's what your dream says. And he told the baker, ah, things don't look so good for you. You're not going to make it. By tomorrow at this time, you know you're going to be dead. Okay, and, and that's what happened. And they came, and he told the butler that they're going to come, and they're going to free you from jail. And the butler, he said, will you remember me? Uh, that's all Joseph asked, since I'm the one that's prophesying all of this stuff. Will you remember me when you get restored? Maybe you can put in a good word for me with Pharaoh. And then he goes back to his life, and he forgets all about Joseph. And now some more years got to go by. Could you imagine God doing that to us? Okay. In the name of love, because he wants to use us and he's preparing us, for something and the situation has to work itself out where he can put us into the situation and sometimes God can hold us into a type of suspended animation okay while he's preparing you for something you might feel you're already prepared for it well where is it oh God well he has to wait for things to line up the way that they should so you just wait on the Lord and they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength so here we have a situation where this young man is in jail, and then Pharaoh has a dream, okay? In fact, he has two of them, and the two dreams are almost identical. In the first dream, I think he saw some cattle coming up out of the River Nile, and, and there were seven good ones, beautiful cattle coming up out of the Nile. And immediately after they came up, seven cattle that had nothing but, but skin and bones came up, and, and before you know it, the thin ones walked up to the fat ones and ate them, and they were still thin after they got done eating them. Okay? And that kind of scared Pharaoh a little bit. What does this dream mean here? What's going on here? Okay? And then he had another dream identical to it, and Joseph, you know, um, that's when the butler remembered. Man, there's a guy in jail, Pharaoh. Yes, I, I mean, oh my God, I told him I would, I would remember him, but, uh, but I, know, I know somebody can interpret your dream. And Pharaoh said, send for him, go get him. And God had Joseph on ice for all of that time, okay, for such a time as that, okay. And then, so now they make it to the prison, get Joseph and brings him out. And he interprets the dream, and he tells Pharaoh there's going to be seven years of plenteous food. There'll be, I mean, you can grow whatever you'd like for these seven years. You'll have the Midas touch. Everything you touch will, you know, be able to be stored up. And, 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 and that's what happened for seven years. And then the Bible tells us then the seven years of dearth began, okay? And the people got hungry. And this time that we're in now, with COVID-19, where we are, I'm going to show you a similarity between where we are now, okay, and this first. Then I'll take you to the lesson. 
Here is what I see. In New York and many other cities and states where the rent is kind of high, we have businesses that are unable to function, and we know that these businesses have struggled. We've seen churches that have shut down. We are hearing as much as 80 to 90% of the churches, and many of those churches had elderly pastors that were barely hanging on and the like. And let me explain something to you, okay? I've been in business before the Lord called me into the ministry, and even here, I mean, no matter how we look at it, the church is a going concern. And, and, and without the financial resources coming in, guess what? We can't pay the bills. But even now, the illuminating company and, and, and Cleveland Public Power and the water company and these, they're they are very lenient with their customers because everyone seems to understand and want to pitch in and do their part. But guess what? My bills, the meter is still running. And at some point, I'm going to have to pay the piper. Please understand what I'm saying here. And the same thing is happening with people. They're getting deferrals on their rent and their mortgages and the like because they are unable to pay. But guess what? This is not money that is given. This is not a grant where you don't have to pay it back. They're lending this money at a very low interest rate and making it seem like the most wonderful thing because the interest rate is low. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs 22 and 7 that the rich will rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's what the Bible tells us. If I looked at when I was running my business, for the first three or four years, I mean, it was flat. Okay, you lost money. You had to write off this, you had to write off that. So you lost money. Okay, you can lose money for the first three to five years of any operation before you get any type of scrutiny. Okay, I just want you to know all businesses are not that profitable. But eventually you work your way up. You develop a clientele. You, you begin to, to, to figure out how to take a few, not shortcuts per se, but you might even purchase a little bit more cost efficiently and to where you can make a little bit more money. You understand what I mean. You learn the ins and outs of the business. You get a better supply chain and things of that nature. And you begin to pull yourself out of debt and you begin to, to thrive. And eventually your business begins to stand on its own two feet where you and your family and your employees and their families are profiting from it. And, and, and you know, no harm, no foul. You, you just, you don't owe anybody anything. You know, you're paying your taxes and you're going about your business, operating your business. And then 2020 comes and COVID-19 and they shut everything down. Talk about the cancel culture. I mean, they canceled everything. Okay. So all of a sudden, your business that you, you might not have been at the top of the heap, but you were doing okay and you were sustaining yourself with your business and other employees were sustaining themselves that worked for you and, and everything was going along. Now you find out that they're going to lend you money. So it takes you back to square one. Wait a minute. This takes me back because I don't have the clientele. I don't know who's coming back. Even in church, they don't know who's coming back. We're going to have to wait and see. We frightened the people. The clergy did, okay, and the church leaders did. You told them, well, we'll have to use, uh, you know, a virtual worship 
um, you know, as a substitute for a little while because we have to listen to the scientists. So whose science are we going to use to get them to come back? If we used the world science and Dr. Fossey and Burks and all of these experts, the World Health Organization and CNN and MSNBC and all of the others, huh? That's who we've been listening to. Now we are seeing that if we were playing musical chairs, the church is the only group without a chair. Now where is this going, pastor? Okay. What we are seeing develop is what we saw develop here in Genesis chapter 47. I'll read a couple of verses and then we'll move on. I just want you to think about this for a minute. It says, and there was no bread in all the land. This is when the famine came after the seven years of plenty. It's amazing. We've had so many. If I send locusts to devour the land, okay, or if I send a pestilence, through the land. He said, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he said, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, and I'll heal their land. And heaven knows America needs to be healed. But America has turned away from God. We, we appear to, to treat wickedness as though it's mainstream today. I mean, we've done it for quite some time now. You're familiar with what I'm talking about. I don't have to be specific right at this minute, but we see what's happening. America used to be God's country. Everyone knew that, okay? One nation under God, indivisible with, oh no, none of that seems to be true today with liberty and justice for all. The United States, but we've turned away from God. So when he said, if my people, and I want you to know that there were a lot of perpetrators, people pretending to be Christians. And now look at where we are. The church has, the church has gone the way of the world. I want you to see something that happens here. Joseph lets the government inherit everything because the people had no more money. When the famine came and they weren't ready, the government had all of the resources. So the government could give $600 a week for a while unemployment. The government can give low interest loan. The government can give grant money. I'm hearing there's money everywhere. I imagine pastors are getting money too. I don't know for sure, I'm just saying, okay? We dine at Caesar's table. I mean, it seemed like Caesar's running the church. Caesar might as well compensate us like Caesar's been doing the other businesses. Okay? So please understand all I'm saying. But here we are, the United States of America. And if you owe money for your mortgage or your landlord can't pay his mortgage, you know, don't assume that the landlord owns the building. You know, he has someone that he owes money to also, okay? So if you don't pay, he can't pay. So guess what? The government is stepping in. So who owns the building? Do you understand what I'm saying here? And before you know it, the people ran out of money, okay? And they said, we, the next year they came back, they said, we're still hungry. What are we going to do now? We don't have any money. He said, well, give us your cattle and give us, give us all of everything else that you have. And before you know it, 
the people said, all we have is ourselves, okay? Then they all began to work for the government. It sounds like socialism, doesn't it? Okay? The system that, that, that Joseph engineered at that particular moment seems to be a type of socialism. Because the people ran out of money, okay? They weren't able to, to, to meet their end of, of, of the social, can we say, structure. So the government had to step in. It's amazing. So be careful, because America is heading down a dangerous, dangerous path, okay? Where we're going to have full governmental control, and heaven forbid that that happens under the wrong administration. Could you just imagine what's coming next? We're going back to the North American Union. Anybody remember that? The NAU, okay? Remember the New World Order, the NWO? Oh, don't worry, all of that stuff is still looming large, okay? We just have to get back to the climate accord. But we have a president who said, no mas. He broke it down. He said, no. We're not going to put all the bathroom signs up. Male, female, boy, girl, man, woman, boom. Decisive action. No, you can't join the army and spend your two years transitioning and then get out. No. You gotta respect a leader like that. Defund Planned Parenthood. We had a Planned Parenthood on our block, on this very block. This is Blood Alley, where perfect pieces. Or hey, we had the most abortion clinics in the world on this one block. That's how sad it's been. Right now, all we have remaining is preterm. Okay, but they're doing. They're putting quite a mark in the community. But I just want you to know, Planned Parenthood was three buildings down on the block. They turned and ran. The building just, uh, yes. Okay. What a day of rejoicing that was. But please understand, that's because we have a president that cares about some of these interests. I heard a man mocking him for holding up a Bible. And this man is supposed to be clergy. How dare he hold up a Bible? Why don't you hold up a Bible is what I said. At least he was in public doing it, not on the Internet doing it. That's what I was thinking. You know, you, hey, I'm just saying, okay? We don't seem to make any sense in the name of Christ. We're looking at skin color and all that stuff. And even if you are, how can you not? Anyway, let's continue. Anyway, that's what I see happening. That's my talk for that. Now, let's move on. Let's get back to our broadcast. Okay. Lord, clear the air. Help me and my unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. Here is what we have now. Tribulation 2. Isaiah chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, speak of the burden of Damascus. It says this, Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city. It shall be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aroa are forsaken. They shall be for flocks, which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim, and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria. It actually says that. Now, I've told you before that Damascus, Syria is notorious as the city with the longest uninterrupted reign. If you were to Google it, however, wherever you get your information, ask the question, which city on the planet 
has the longest uninterrupted reign and will always come back Damascus, Syria. So we know this prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. But we're looking at a sequence of events tonight. And I want you to know that this event, you have a log jam, you just have, these are the last couple of events that are to occur before the rapture of the church, and these seem simultaneous. The burden of Damascus is telling us that Damascus is taken away from being a city. Did you see what happened in Beirut, Lebanon a week ago? Actually, eight days ago. You know, today is the 14th of August, 2020. But eight days ago, there was an explosion in Beirut. And we saw the wave, okay? I saw a cloud. It looked like a mushroom cloud, but it seemed to be water vapor or something of that nature. You know, it was right on the water. But, but we saw that wave of, of, of pressure that just broke windows for, for miles and, and did so much damage. And so we looked at Beirut and we saw the devastation and that city has been adversely impacted. I mean, I should say severely impacted because they're already a broke city. And though a lot of those high-rises are apartment buildings, no one has any money. So how long is Beirut going to stay like that this time? Now, Damascus doesn't even have this type of infrastructure. Could you imagine if you had a, an ammonium nitrate fertilizer explosion? And, and, and uh -huh, you see where I'm going with this. Okay, so it happened in Beirut. Beirut is almost gone by a conventional weapon. In fact, it was just fertilizer. And as fertilizer, they say you have to mix it with diesel fuel and all this kind of stuff. You're familiar with what I'm talking about. But if fertilizer could do that and almost destroy the whole city of Beirut, I imagine they have fertilizer stored because it's a Hezbollah storage, you know. And I'm sure they weren't fertilizing the desert dust. Please understand what I'm saying. They had more, enough fertilizer to fertilize the planet. And it is bomb-making material, so please understand. And I'm sure they have storage warehouses in Damascus. <laughs> so please understand the type of timetable that we are on. Okay? So Isaiah 17, 1 through 3, tells us that it's called the burden of Damascus, where the city is destroyed. And it tells us in this text that the cities around are already destroyed. And guess what? They are. We are here. This is the only time in history that everything lines up in this prophecy that we can see that it's occurring right now. Now, where does this take us, Pastor Noel? Take that happening. Okay, that has to happen. Can we say now? That's going to happen. Now, here, Israel has already been sniping at Damascus, you know, with raids and the like, because Iran is getting close, you know, they're really getting close to the Golan Heights and the like. And, you know, Russia is still back, you know, they, they find down there by their port and the like. And Turkey is now in there in concert with the other nations, just like the scripture says that they would be in the end time. So I just want you to know everything is in place. Russia has been there since 2015. They're getting wary. They're getting tired of being in Syria. They're, you know, I mean, uh, what is it? 
the rest of the world are going to ask, are you there to take a spoil or to take a prey? You know, that's Ezekiel 38. So it's speaking of everything that can be spoken right now. Now, here's what I want you to see. So this Isaiah 17 prophecy, the burden of Damascus, okay? Could you imagine if Damascus is taken away from being a city? The anger, okay? Now, when you go to, and you look at it, okay? It takes you to Ezekiel 38. And Ezekiel 38 speaks of Russia and Turkey and, and it mentions um, Gomer and some of these other nations. You know, Germany is, is not really going to get involved. You know, their Muslim population has been expanded significantly. And they have to be very careful at home. In fact, they're having a lot of trouble right now with Sharia law in Germany. So you see what's happening throughout Europe where the hornets, I call them, you know, the M Muslim Middle Easterners have you know, gone throughout Europe, and, and as a result, they've been forcing the Jews to return home because they are mortal enemies, and nothing will cause them to ever begin to love God's people. They are mortal enemies, so now the Jews are being driven back to Israel, and that's what we see happening. But as we look at this, okay, what the Bible seemed to be telling us is this, that right here, right now, if you want to know when Jesus is coming back, you look at these passages. Daniel 9, 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For the overspreading of the abominations he shall make it desolate. You know what that's saying to us? When you take that, you say, okay, well it doesn't really fit with Israeli prophecy, even though it's in a place in the book of Daniel where it should be talking about Israeli prophecy, here is what that verse is saying. It's saying that whoever the Antichrist is, that's how we will know who he is. He will come onto the world stage as the master negotiator. We saw a, a, a treaty just worked out on yesterday between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Okay, the rest of the Muslim world is very upset. Plus, it's a feather in the cap of Donald Trump with his peace process. Iran is livid. Turkey is livid. Those are two of the countries that will come against Israel in a minute. So please pay attention. We are here. We are right here, right now. And those nations, I'm, Turkey is, is livid with anger as we speak. You know, they have put a buffer zone of, I believe, 26 to 30 miles all the way across their whole border with Syria. They just took that land, you know, uh, ran out, you know. It's amazing what you have. But, so they're dividing up Syria. Russia is there, Persia is there, and Turkey is there, just like Ezekiel 38 says will occur in the end time. And we know they can't continue to stay there because it's getting very expensive. So what this verse is telling us is that this man is going to negotiate a peace treaty between Israel and her neighbors. Why are they going to need a peace treaty? They need it now because the Palestinians won't let the Jews construct 
the, their temple, and the Jews won't let the Palestinians have their homeland until somebody is able to get these two sides to sit down and talk about it. But nothing works like pressure. So something is going to happen to Damascus, Syria. Okay, Israel is probably going to get frustrated, and they're not going to nuke Damascus. You know, we're talking about very close proximity here to their nation. Okay, but something is going to, if, if ammonium nitrate fertilizer could do what it did in, in, in Beirut, <laughs> you understand? Something like that, with a wave like that, hit Damascus with all their clay buildings and the like, guess what? Most of it is going to fall. And when that happens, they're going to need somebody to come in. Now, take what I just said and let's tie it to what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look at how it fits together like a glove. Here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, okay, look at what he says. They wanted to know. We want a time frame. Tell us when this rapture of the church is coming. You confuse this with your first letter. Oh my God, you talked about this rapture and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We read it at all the funerals. It's very comforting to the saints. But nevertheless, okay, you know, the people ran out and they sold all their goods and that kind of stuff. If you look at the history of Thessalonica, they went out and I mean, if you knew, if you thought Jesus was coming next week, uh, I bet you your priorities would change. Uh, you'd cash out your 401k and try to lay up some treasure, okay, by helping some people and doing some things that would endear people to hear from you what you have to say about Jesus. And that's what it's all about. That's what we should have been doing all along. But look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay, I'm going to read these four verses, and I want you to pay attention because we're getting a sequence here. All right? It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit or by word, nor as by letter as from us. As the day of Christ is at hand, we know we frightened you. I'm sorry, is what he's saying, all right? He said in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means. He's talking about the rapture of the church. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin, and that man of sin be revealed. Don't forget that, the son of perdition. It says, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. So those are the two events that the church is instructed to look for. He told us that there will be a deterioration of our culture. Men will be lovers of their own self, proud, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, just making babies, not even taking care of their kids, and all that kind of stuff. The Bible tells us that it will get this way in the end time, and we saw it, we've seen it coming. Our culture has just fallen now. God's got a problem with tattooing. Now everybody is tattooing everything and every part. Okay? That's just, it's just, it's just an epidemic of sin. God says, don't show your butt. That's all you see. All the clothes are hanging off and, 
Ladies, no matter what size, wearing leotards and stuff. That's what I call them. Huh? Ain't that what it is, like pantyhose? Huh? Whether you call it leggings or whatever, you're wearing that with a tight shirt and you're a grown woman out there. You're showing everybody all of your privates and stuff. Somebody ought to say something. we just rude and profane all of a sudden. No matter what age, well, since everybody else is doing it, I might as well do it too. Okay, cut it out. Okay? God is calling us to a higher standard than that. But that's where we are. We're in the latter stages of the end time. And the Bible tells us that there will be a falling away. Let's talk about that falling away. We used to talk about it when we were looking around. And I saw the Barna polling group, you know, like 10 years ago. They found that most African Americans, maybe more like 20 years, most African Americans had a religious underpinning in their, in their lives. You know what I mean? The families, most black families that I'm aware of can tell you what church they used to belong to. But grandma and granddad weren't diligent enough to keep their children. And before you know it, their children and their children, the progressive took over the school. And before you know it, nobody is concerned about the children's spiritual development. Absolutely no one. Not the parents, not the establishment, not the community. No one cares. So we started telling the children all kinds of stuff that there is no God. You know, we, we started out as a single-celled amoeba, and we worked our way up, and we evolved into what we are now. So we just animals, just like the dogs and the cats, or your dogs and your pet children and, and all of that stuff. And in fact, you can't abort those, okay? Do something to a dog, and I dare you. You hurt Fido, or whatever your dog is named. Okay? You better not leave your dog outside in the winter. Nobody cares about your children. Please understand. I'm saying they're equal now, and some people treat their animals better than they treat their kids. And that's how bad things have got. That's what happens when you turn away from God. Now, I, I was on uh, Cedar Avenue, not far from Legacy Village, and there was a line of cars, okay, all the way back to Legacy Village, going down Cedar headed west on Cedar, and I got out and decided, you know, not out of the car, but I got out of that lane, and as I drove by, they were all in line to go into that Catholic church, saint, whatever it is, and they were blessing pets that day, okay? So everyone was in line to get their pets blessed. What does that mean? Your dog goes to heaven or what? You know, you see, that's what has happened to us because we turn our backs away from God. And, 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 you know, I should say we turned our fronts away from God. You understand what I'm saying. But that's what we did, and we have failed miserably, okay, as a culture. So consequently, look at what we have now, okay? This falling away was not that. It's talking about departure from the faith and apostasy, okay, when it says the falling away first and then the man of sin will be revealed. That apostasy is what we are experiencing now. It is here. Look at what we are seeing. Pastors have shut down most of these charlatans anyway, you know, preaching for money and all of that stuff. You know all that prosperity stuff. You know the gospel. Jesus, that's not the biblical Jesus that they represent. You know that. Foxes had holes, birds had nests. Jesus didn't care that much about his physical wealth. Nor about yours. 
In fact, he said, what is a man profiteth if he gains the whole world and loses? What shall you give in exchange for your soul? Huh? You know what Je where Jesus stands. But you got Joel Osteen and all these. They'll shut their churches down in a second. They don't preach Jesus anyhow. So please understand. But we are seeing a falling away even of people that we know to be Christian who have no faith. And that's what has happened. So now the faith of the leaders have slipped. And it has caused the faith of the followers to deteriorate because practice becomes permanent. You know how long it took to get into the habit of worshiping every Sunday where no matter what happens, you know what's coming after Saturday and you know what you do on Sunday. You get dressed and you go to church and we put on our Sunday best. We get the children. We got a routine for Sunday, just like we have one from Monday through Friday. Saturday is the only day that we had in disarray. And you understand what I'm saying? You got ready for church on Saturday night because Sunday was the time that the families went to church. And that's just the way it was. But look at us now. So it took me a while to get into that habit of going to church every Sunday and then habit. I mean, it became, I taught my kids well. You know what I did with my children? Here's what I did. I told my kids, I'm a partner with you in your education, okay? But I'm not going to be a part of, partner with you in your spiritual development, okay? I'm responsible to God to take care of that. But I'll be a partner with you in your academics. So if there's a snow day where it's snowing a lot outside, and you, you decide, well, let me ask dad if I can take a day off from school, okay? And I'll use a criteria. I mean, you know, do you have any homework that you, assignments that you needed to turn in? You know, are you sure it's not a test you're trying to skip out of or any of that stuff? And you can get a day off from school. I gave my kids snow days other than when the system gave them snow. We didn't have to look at Channel 5. There were times my kids can say, Dad, can I stay home from school? I'd ask, well, what is the purpose? And they'd tell me, well, you know, I just like to stay, sit around. It's real cold out there, and I like to play some video games or something like that. And I'll ask the same question. You sure you don't have anything you're skirting? And they, once they convince me that it's just an ordinary day, it's just inclement weather outside, I say, you can take the day off. Okay? I did that as a parent. You know why? Because I wanted them to see that school was important, but not that important, you, because I did it in contrast to worship. Isaiah, the basketball player who just graduated from West Virginia State, you know, and he played well for those years. You know, I'm proud of him, you know, and so on and so on. Um, you know, but, but the basketball player, Okay, I mean, the kid was, was, was very, very, very talented. Okay, very talented. And I did nothing to hinder his basketball development. But when he was younger, there was a league playing at Zelma Watson George Recreation Center. And boy, he just knew that was going to get him into AAU basketball. And he wanted to do it so badly. And so I took him over to Zelma. I said, I'll wait outside. I don't feel like going in there today. And he went inside and he inquired about the basketball league. And he came out and he shut the door. He said, Dad, let's go. I said, what's the matter? He said, oh, nothing. They play on Sundays. <laughs> okay. And, and, and his attitude was, he knew. 
Okay, we don't compromise on Sunday. And to see a kid, an 11-year-old boy do that, it made me feel good. Because he knew he can get days off from school, but you're not going to get days off from church. Okay? You have to teach them about priorities. And that's what I did with my children. And I asked some of the parents to do it with some of theirs. But it used to be the kids mostly. Come on, Ma, let's go to church. You see, around here, you know, they get candy and stuff. You know, I don't think it's fair for a kid to be brought to church, to be made to sit somewhere, usually in clothes that they don't wear all the time and is not the most comfortable. And they got friends in the room, but they can't talk to their friends and all of that kind of stuff. So where they hate church, and they say, I can't wait till I get old enough not to come. And that's what they end up saying. So we make it fun for kids, okay? They'll grow. Show them that Jesus is a good Lord. And that's what I'm talking about. So it seems like, but, but what I'm saying to you is this, okay? When we look at what the Bible says, there'd be a falling away. Um, I'm proud of my children. They've brought many of their friends to Christ. Um, Isaiah used to bring them to me, okay, and say, Dad, work on, you know, and, you know, he'd witness to them, but he wouldn't pray with them. And a lot of saints have that problem where they'll witness to somebody, but they just won't take them by the hand and, you know, lead them in prayer and let them ask the Lord, introduce them to Jesus and let them ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins and, and to watch the encounter and, and, and to see the change, the transition beginning. It's the most amazing thing. And the greatest leader on the planet is the person who led me to Christ because that person, I mean, it's not that person that changed my life, but their thoughtfulness did, okay? And I'm proud of the person who led me to Christ. That, that person is somebody that I hold up in very, very high esteem. And you understand that because that's the greatest leader that I could think of, the person who led me to Christ. Now, I, can ha I have that privilege of being that very leader to so many others. So here's what you got. He said, a falling away first. And what do you call this? Huh? All up and down, everywhere. All the churches are closed. Weeds in the parking lot. They have, they're scared to come in. We... And the ones who are starting back, don't forget... It took them a long time to get into the habit of coming, and for the last six months you told them they don't have to. So you think they're going to be satisfied now with you making them come back when you made them so comfortable at Bedside Baptist with your virtual service? Keep the virtual service going! Because they got into the habit of doing that now. How many of them... Look at the comparison! Getting up and getting dressed and getting your clothes ready through the week and all that kind of stuff. Getting your Sunday best together. Or you can get a cup of coffee. You know, you just put your automatic coffee maker and you sit down and rub your eyes while you watch the pastor. Huh? You understand. And the choir and everything else. And you can view worship that way. Okay? Why would you go back? When the pastor said it was an acceptable substitute, why would you go back? I just don't understand it. Habit forming. We never got out of the habit of worship. Okay? So let's look at what has happened. He tells us in the church that there'll be a falling away, 
and the man of sin is revealed. Daniel 9.27 tells us how the man of sin is revealed, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Don't forget that seven years, okay, a week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. What did you just say? The man who is the Antichrist is going to negotiate the peace treaty between Israel and the Palestinians. Yes, there's one between Israel and the United Arab Emirates that got signed on yesterday, and it's the most amazing thing. And a lot of people are happy. It's going to protect UAE, okay? It's going to help Israel a little bit, and now we're in a league with them, and I think it's a wonderful thing. Iran is particularly hostile now, and so is Turkey, the two other nations that will come against Israel in a minute, okay? So we are seeing the falling away here in America where the church's hub has been. We were going to carry the gospel. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all over the world for a testimony unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Okay? So America has been carrying that gospel. Now the church, we are finding out, might be just a very shadow of what we thought the church was because maybe only 10% or 15% of the Christian churches are operational as we speak, and most have been silent for more than six months. Could you just imagine, okay, what has happened? This is that falling away. So the next event is that this man of sin is going to be revealed, and he is revealed not by him going into the temple of God claiming that he is God. That's when he does the abomination of desolation, and that's what Daniel 9.27 is describing the man as saying he is the one that's going to do that, but he's not doing it right now, okay? He's going to negotiate the peace treaty between Israel and her neighbors, and he's going to continue to rise to power, and at the midway point of the tribulation period, upon the preaching of the two witnesses, we'll look at them in maybe some detail next week and move on, because we're right in this area before the rapture of the church. And this man is going to negotiate this peace treaty, and he's going to rise to prominence. And at the midway point of the tribulation, he is the one that's going to go into the temple of God, claiming that he is God and that that temple was built for him. It's called the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When he stands in the holy place, at that point the Jews have clear instructions to go to a place that God has prepared for them, where he will take care of them for three and a half years from the face of the serpent. Oh, we're going to go into Revelation chapter 12, probably on next week, and we're going to see some dynamic things that are about to befall us here on earth. But I wanted to synchronize Israeli prophecy with church prophecy to tell you that we're waiting on the burden of Damascus, okay, which can happen any day now. And boy, is it possible, because that's all that's remaining in Syria. It's the only city of consequence in Syria, Damascus. All of the other cities are gone, and now we're waiting for that to become a ruinous heap. And then that man of sin will be revealed. So no doubt it, Israel will probably be engaged in destroying Damascus. Okay, It doesn't seem like America is going to be engaged. 
So I've been preaching for a couple of years now. It seems as though America doesn't have much of a role in this end game, not when it comes to the conflict, because Israel is going to have to go it alone in order for Jesus to come to her rescue. So whether God sits us down or whether because of our sin and the left and us becoming a socialist utopia that God allows us to sit down, whatever it takes, it seems like it's right at the door. But I want you to know that when the rapture of the church comes and we leave, it gets extremely difficult to get saved. Don't let anybody deceive you by telling you that, oh, you will see us go, or somehow, you know, you're going to remember our message. God said he's going to send a strong delusion that you're going to believe a lie because you chose not to accept Jesus Christ while the church was here actually presenting him to you. We're almost walking around on our knees, almost begging our loved ones to accept Jesus Christ, and they're just like thumbing their nose at Jesus, okay? But it's not about he who laughs last. There's no laughing matter here. You've got to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you will die in your sin. All of us are sinners. It's just that we won't die in our sin because our sins have been purged. Our sins have been washed away. Our sins have been forgiven. Who did that? Jesus is the only one that can forgive sin. Here is what you have to do to get your sin forgiven. Do you believe that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he arose again from the dead? Yes, it's your faith in what Jesus has done. It, it tells you who he is. He died on that cross. He is the Christ of God. He was buried and he arose again from the dead on that third day, that Sunday morning. Yes, he arose from the dead. Okay? And I just want you to know that God said that if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, he is willing to save you. You can go to him in prayer, confessing your sins. You better be armed with that belief. Okay? You've got to have faith in what Jesus has done on Calvary's cross. And when you look and that tomb was empty, it's still empty. And guess what? He's coming back. He's coming back to the earth not long from now, our risen Lord. But you know what? Before he comes back to the earth, we're going to meet him, all of us that are Christian today. So if you accept Christ, we will be going to meet Jesus, whether we die before the rapture or whether the rapture comes. We will be taken out of here, okay, while the earth goes through that period called the tribulation period will be gone for seven years that same seven year period and that's what we're preparing for but we're right on the cusp of it please don't wait tomorrow may be too late i'm just telling you okay this is a time that we can put all of the scripture together and say well we couldn't even imagine this picture before but now here it is we can see it so put your trust in jesus are you ready to pray and give your heart to the Lord. I won't leave you out there like that because the devil will come and snatch that word out of your heart and tell you, don't worry about it. You'll get it later. Or you got it already or some of that. Listen, someone said, except you repent. You know, repentance is just, just turn to God. Okay, don't worry about all the heavy lifting and all that stuff. Jesus did all of that for you. Okay? You turning to him, you acknowledging him as Lord and Savior is repentance. Anybody who try to make it a works system, forget about it. They hide it with biblical language, okay? No, 
you come to Jesus, you're turning from your old way, you're turning from your sin, you are repenting of your sin, and you're asking Jesus to be your Savior. It's not that you can think anything of yourself, because our righteousness is of Him. He is our righteousness. So let's go to Him in prayer. Just repeat after me if you want to be saved right now. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried and he arose again from the dead? Notice I keep going back there. It's his cross. At the cross is where it occurs. You say you do believe? Let's pray then. Almighty God, my Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. You love me so much that you gave your only begotten Son that I might live. Lord Jesus, I believe you are Christ. I believe you went to Calvary. I believe you died there on Calvary. I believe you were buried, and I believe you arose again from the dead. And I'm confessing my sin to you as my Savior. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and save my soul. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for shedding your blood on Calvary's cross for the remission of my sin, and not only mine, but the sin of the world when they hear about it. Oh, Lord, thank you for being my Lord and my Savior my God, and you will I trust. So, Father, I thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay, my friends, God bless you. feel like I've been sparring with Mike Tyson, and that's the way it is sometimes. Virtue goes out of us. But what a mighty God we serve. Jesus is the Lord. And Lord willing, I'll talk to you soon.